following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Anoj, um, and I have the privilege of uh, sharing from God's Word this morning. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, um, either online or um, here in the in the building, um, just want to extend a warm welcome to you. Uh, we're in the middle of a series entitled New Year Attitudes. Um, and we've looked at a number of different attitudes um, that we and consider what it would be like for us to adopt those attitudes this year. We've looked at things like fearing the Lord, having joy and, and, and hope and things like that. And so this morning we're coming to a, um, one that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable and that is the, um, the attitude of contentment. So I wonder if maybe you struggle with this. Maybe it's something that's, you know, you, you feel this desire, this insatiable desire for always wanting more. This desire to, to want the next thing. You, you get something, maybe you get that promotion, maybe you get that new item, and then a week, a month, six months later, you find yourself wanting the next one, wanting one more and one more, one better. There's always something more. There's a story told of a, a guy by the name of J.D. Rockefeller. You might have heard the story. Um, he's known as one of the, perhaps one of the most richest people in, in the in history of the planet. Um, he lived around the early 1900s and was very, very wealthy. Um, and there's a story told where uh, apparently one day a reporter asked him the question, how much money is enough? How much is enough? And he apparently replied with these words, just a little more. I wonder if this morning you can resonate with that sensation of wanting just a little bit more. Maybe you don't want the whole world, you just want a little bit more and a little bit more. And it goes on and on and on. So we're looking at the topic of contentment this morning, and I want you to turn with your Bibles, if you have it, on your phone or hard copy to Philippians chapter 4. Um, we're, we're focusing on, on verses 10 through to 13. So why don't you join with me as we read. This is what um, God's Word says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Church, this morning, this, this verse comes in the, the context of Paul uh, thanking the, the church in, in Philippi for um, wanting to help him and support him. But he has this little, almost side note where he talks about contentment. That's what we're going to unpack this morning. And we're going to do three things this morning um, in, in our sermon. I was going to go for four, but maybe it's appropriate that contentment I stick with a little bit less. Um, number one, we're looking at what is contentment? What is it? What do we mean by contentment? What do we mean when we talk about Christian contentment? The second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at why is it difficult? Why is it so hard? We know about chances that you've heard about this topic of contentment, but why is it so difficult? And then lastly, we're going to look at how can we do it? How can we actually live lives that are content? How can we adopt this attitude in the year ahead? So what it is, why it's hard, and how we can do it. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into it. Father God, we 
Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather around your word each and every Sunday. Thank you, Lord, for um, the, the amazing truths that are, are in your word. And Lord, we pray as we unpack this topic, Father, I pray that you'd help our hearts to be open. By your spirit, would you soften our hearts, Lord, to not push back, to not um, be, be too quick to dismiss, but Lord, help us to examine our hearts thoroughly this morning. Help me to be faithful to your word um, and, and speak nothing that is untrue. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're looking at this morning is what is contentment? What do we mean by Christian contentment? And I want to start by maybe looking at perhaps what it's not. So often when we think of contentment, it's so easy for us to head down the path of thinking of a list of do's and don'ts. We shouldn't buy that next TV. We shouldn't buy the new car. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. And somehow we we go down this path of of thinking that contentment maybe is about just not pursuing the next thing or not having something else. And sometimes that may be relevant. Do I really need a new TV in my room? Probably not. Sometimes it is important to have those things. But I want to suggest to us this morning that contentment is more than just a list of do's and don'ts. Contentment is more about what you you do with physical things or material possessions. See, it's possible to not buy that new car, to not go for that promotion, to be happy where you live. It's possible for you to do all that and not have a heart that's content. Contentment is more about the heart than anything else. Notice what Paul doesn't say in our passage, right? He doesn't talk about being in need and being hungry and lacking many things and then finding contentment there. He doesn't give us a list of things we should or shouldn't do when it comes to contentment. He says that on the spectrum, whether he has a lot or whether he has not much, whether he's well-fed, whether he's hungry, no matter what the outside circumstances are, there's something else that he, that, um, he has that enables him to be content. It's a heart thing. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about the externals. It's a heart thing. The, the English Puritan writer uh, by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs, he, he wrote a book which in essence is a, a meditation or a reflection um, on this passage entitled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Um, and in it, he defines contentment really well. And we're going to use this as our working definition this morning. This is what he says about Christian contentment. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let me read that again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let's unpack that um, for a moment. Frame of spirit, there's a, there's a phrase there, frame of spirit. It's probably not something that we use in today's language all that, all that much. And indeed, um, Burroughs is writing in the 1600s, the language is going to be different. But think to a, a, another similar phrase where we use a lot, frame of mind, right? We often say, so-and-so is not in the right frame of mind to make that decision. And what we mean is that there's something going on in their mind that means that they're not able to handle the situation right. They're not able to view something correctly. And in a similar manner, the phrase frame of spirit means that there's this posture of the heart. There's this inner inner being, this uh, frame of the, the inner being that Burroughs says ought to be tender. It ought to be gracious and trusting towards God and trusting that the, where he has us is, where, is exactly where he wants us to be. Which trusts that God, whether he gives or he doesn't give, that he's still a good God in every condition. 
It's not about whether God gives us a lot or whether he gives us little. Some of us, we have a lot, but by other people's standards, we have a lot. Others of us, we perhaps don't have as much. But whatever our circumstances, Christian contentment means that in every condition, our heart's posture is such that we willfully and, and humbly trust our God, no matter what's happening on the outside. Or to use the language of the passage, Christian contentment is uh, the, the being able to say that whether we have need or have plenty, whether we're hungry or well-fed, I will trust in God's provision and care for me. Church, you see the profound influence this understanding can bring to our actions. It means it's not about just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about whether you get that car or not get that car, whether you get that next thing. It's not about the do's and the don'ts ultimately. It's about the posture of the heart, which means that on the outside, you could have two people making the exact same decision, but each of them could come from a different place in the heart. Each one person might come to the same decision as another person, but that person might have, it might come from a heart of contentment, whereas the other person might come from a heart of discontentment. It's about the heart. It's about having that right frame of spirit to trust God no matter the circumstances. And some of those circumstances, you and I know very well, are tough. Some of those situations are very difficult, and we're not trying to diminish that at all. But Christian contentment and what Paul, I think, would have us understand is about trusting God and being willing to hold on to him no matter the condition. Christian contentment is about the right posture of the heart, the right frame of spirit that's able to trust and rely upon God no matter what the circumstances are. And that's our first point this morning. That's what Christian contentment is. It's about the heart. It's about the posture of the heart and how we trust and rely on God. But it brings us to this next question, why is it so hard? I mean, I'm sure perhaps none of this is is new for you. Maybe you've heard it many times before, but why is that many of us feel that insatiable desire for always wanting more, always wanting the next thing? Why is it so difficult? Which brings us to our second point this morning. Why is it so difficult? Let's pause to consider for a moment where our hearts might be at. See, on, on one hand, Graham Bain in, in, his, in his chapter um, entitled Heart, sorry, in his chapter on this topic in his book Heart Attitudes, he talks at, at length about how the, in the world we live at, we're almost pulled towards discontentment every day. We have advertisements that almost intentionally sow seeds of discontentment, making us feel like the phone that we have or the car we drive, the clothes that we have, our relationship status, our friends, our jobs, feeling like that is just not enough. And pulling us to wanting more, to wanting something else, to think that the grass is greener somewhere else. And so we we live in that culture where there's that tug on our hearts day in, day out. And if we're not careful, that can easily pull us down this path of discontentment. But I want us to stop and consider why might those things work in our hearts? Why is it that when we see that kind of advertisement, our hearts are drawn? If we're going to go any way towards um, fighting discontentment in our hearts this morning, we've got to understand what's actually going on in our hearts. What might be the drivers that pull us towards this discontentment? And I want to suggest to you this morning that the reason that might be the case is maybe we're looking externally to give us something internally. See, a content heart is often derailed when we look to something external to satisfy a heart desire. See, church, we, we, we live in a world and, and we live in a time where our hearts were so corrupted by sin, were so influenced by our sinful desires 
that, that we might have very good desires in our hearts, desires for relational intimacy, desires to want to provide for our family, all these things, really good things, but we might go searching for that satisfaction in the wrong place. That's the risk that we find this morning. But let's go back to our passage again then. And look at what Paul says. What does Paul say in, in these verses? And notice again what he doesn't say. Notice that again, he's, he's not talking about contentment coming from the outward stuff. He's not talking about the posture of the heart, the satisfaction of his heart coming from the outward stuff that he has. He's able to say that no matter what's going on on the outside, whether he's, well hung, sorry, whether he's hungry or well-fed, whether he's preaching passionately in the public place or whether he's in prison, whether he has a lot or not much at all, no matter what is happening externally, his frame of spirit is such, his posture of the heart is such, that he's still able to be content. And yet so often we struggle with that because maybe we're looking to satisfy a heart desire in something outside. Let me explain this by, by giving a couple of examples. It's not, um, it's not a full list. It's, there's many examples you could use, but I'm going to use these few. Maybe for some of us, the root of our discontentment is a desire for status or standing. Or to put it another way, maybe some of us are driven to discontentment because we're searching for identity in some way. We subconsciously fall into the trap of thinking that if I can just reach that level of my career, if I can just have that job, then people will think I'm okay. People will think I'm somebody. Or if I just had those new shoes, or if I just wore those branded clothing to all my weekend parties, then people would say, yeah, okay, he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. I'd like to have him in my life. Or maybe we say if we just have the, the, a nice car, then, then people will accept us. We, we pursue things or our discontentment can be driven by a desire for some sort of standing or identity. In the, the film Rocky, many of you might have seen it, um, Sylvester Stallone's character has this, this moment where he's preparing for this big fight, right? He's preparing for this big fight and he's thinking a lot about it and he expresses this desire to just want to be able to go the distance, to just, no matter whether he loses or wins, when the bell goes for him to be still standing, to be standing at the end of the bat. And this is what he says. He says, if I can go that distance, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Many of us maybe have a similar posture. If I can just have that job, if I can just have that person, if I can just have this material possession, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Then I'll know I'm a somebody. Then I'll know that I have some kind of value. Maybe for some of us, our discontentment is driven by a desire or search for identity or standing. Maybe for others of us, our discontentment is driven by a pursuit of happiness. We say to ourselves, if I can just have that nice place, big space where I can have all the, the, the things that I want, I can have a pool in the backyard, if I can just get there one day, then I'll finally be happy. Then I'll finally be satisfied. Or if I could just have the, that newest iPhone or the, the, the sleekest new laptop that's out there, then my life will be so much easier, I'll be happier, I'll be content, that's where I want to be. Others of us, maybe our root driver is a desire for approval. Maybe we wrestle with our, our body image or how we look and it's rooted in this belief that if we can just look a certain way, if we can just appear a certain way, then we'll be somehow more lovable. Or maybe we desperately want to change in our relationship status because then and only then will we feel like we're okay. Only then will we feel like we are valued. 
There's so many things that could drive this discontentment. This is just three, but church, I hope we can see that so many, so often we are looking externally, or we're looking in people or things or intangible stuff to give us some sort of satisfaction of the heart. Now it's important to note here that a lot of these drivers are not in and of themselves bad things. It's a good thing to desire to be loved, to desire to be happy. It's a, it's a good thing to, to want to be secure in your identity, but the problem is not with that thing. The problem is where we're looking to find satisfaction in it. Because God created us to be people that wanted to be loved, that wanted to know who we were, to be secure. God created us that way, so that's not the bad thing. The problem is where we're looking. And church, if we're ever going to be able to say that no matter whether we're well-fed or whether we're hungry, whether we have that job or not, whether we have that relationship or not, if we're going to be able to say with Paul that we are content, we have to start by recognizing what is actually our heart looking for, what is driving our discontentment. And are we maybe looking for it in the wrong place? Because church, a content heart is so often derailed when we look externally to find satisfaction, uh, satisfaction, for these heart desires. So that's why it's hard. It's hard because our hearts are so often drawn, we're so often pushed to search for satisfaction in various things. But then it brings the question, well then, what do we do about it? How can we live lives where we're content, where we're happy, where we're satisfied? That brings us to our third point, how can we do it? Church, I want to to suggest to us this morning that in our verses in in chapter 4, Paul alludes to, and we'll get to it, um, what, what the solution is. But I reckon he's, the, the solution that he's basing on is actually enunciated in the previous chapter. Um, and so I want you to flick the, the page back to chapter 3 um, and read verse 8 and 9. This is what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, which, which I think really drives what he, um, what's, what's um, enabling him to be content. This is what he says. He says, What is more... I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, church, what we see in these verses is that Paul had found something. Paul had found a treasure that he had in his heart, that he, he held closely in his heart, that enabled him to say that no matter what, everything in all the world was, of, was not, not even in comparison. It was of no value to him in comparison to this treasure that he had found. And that treasure was his union with Christ. That treasure was the fact that he, through Jesus' death and resurrection, had been united to God. That he, his life was hidden in Christ. And now because of that, Christ now dwelt in him through his spirit. And that union with Christ is what enabled him to be content. Because look at verse 13 of, of the passage we read at the start, chapter 4. Because he says, I've learned to be content in, learned the secret of being content in every, sorry, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The fact that he was united to Christ and it was Christ's power, Christ's strength that was outworking in his heart, that's how he was able to be content. And church, that's true of us as well this morning. The key to growing contentment is being, and being able to fight this insatiably, uh, sorry, this insatiable desire for more is by... For, feeding perhaps the the one desire for more that's a good thing, a desire for more of Jesus. 
a desire to know him more, to experience him more, to delight in him more, to be satisfied and happy and secure in him more. To answer it maybe in a, in a kid's church manner, the answer to this question is one word, Jesus. The answer to this question is, how do we become content? It's by cherishing Jesus, being able to do what Paul did in chapter 3, saying that there is nothing else that compares. Whether I'm well, well fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I have something, whether I have this thing or I don't, whether my situation changes or not, no matter what, even though I might want some of those things, no matter what, I have found this thing that's of surpassing value, this treasure of knowing Christ, of being united to him, being found in him. And when we cherish that, when our hearts treasure that more and more, God by his spirit outworks that power so that we can too can say with Paul, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That verse is not primarily about being able to get a new job or getting the next thing. It's about being able to be content no matter the circumstances, whether we get the job or not, whether we are in need or not. That's how we fight it. Church, and I want to encourage you as well, those drivers that we've found, those things that drive us to discontentment, take those to Jesus too. Take them, take those to him. If your discontentment is rooted in a, in a desire for identity and wanting to know that you're some, somebody, not just another bum from the neighborhood, if that's you, seek after Jesus. Because in Jesus, you will find your identity. You will find that you are a somebody, not because of your job title or because of the clothes you wear, but because of the title that Christ gives you as a beloved son and daughter of God, clothed in righteousness because of Christ. When you have that as your identity, that satisfies the desire of the heart that nothing else can. If your your discontentment is rooted in a desire for happiness, seek after Jesus because in Christ we find all the pleasure, the joy, the satisfaction, the happiness and we can never, that can never be taken away. We'll find water, as it were, that won't ever run dry. If our discontentment is rooted in a desire for love and approval, and we find ourselves chasing the perfect body or running into a lover's arms, seek after Jesus, because in Christ you'll find his arms outstretched for you. You'll find his body broken for you on that cross so that he could unite you into a relationship with him. That he could create a way for your sins to be forgiven, create a way for you to be restored into right relationship with the Father. Church, whatever drives your discontentment this morning, I want to implore you to take it to Jesus. Maybe Dash team wants to jump up. Seek after him and pray that God, by his spirit, would so strengthen and so empower you to treasure him forever that the lure of always wanting more stuff or more people, or more intangible things, that that drive, that desire for more would fade into insignificance. Pray that Jesus would so be the treasure of your heart that no matter what your drivers of discontentment are, that you will find the satisfaction in Him. Whether you have a lot or little, that you will be content because you have found that surpassing treasure. Church, this, this attitude is a game changer. This attitude, if we adopt that into our hearts and our lives in the year ahead, it changes everything. Because we don't know what's coming, right? We, we don't know what the year ahead holds. Maybe for some of us, it might be a great year. For others of us, maybe there's a job loss around the corner. Maybe we might lose a loved one. Maybe we might have to get up and move out of Sydney for some reason. There's so many things that can happen this year that can be challenging and, and difficult. And so if we adopt this attitude of contentment, we'll be able to trust God and hold on to Him in the midst of that. 
But at the same time, and I want to help us to um, also not go away with the, the wrong idea, being content doesn't mean that we don't bring our needs to God. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for healing. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for God to provide a new job when we don't have one. It doesn't mean that we don't bring those needs to Him. In fact, I reckon it's supposed to give us even more confidence because we know that it is God who's, who's disposing all of these blessings on us. And we can come with him, to Him with more confidence, but we can come, with him, come to Him with our needs with the right heart. Saying, God, hey, I, I really need this job because money is tight and I want to provide for my family. But even if you don't, I will be content. And if you do, God, I will praise you equally the same. Contentment in the heart radically changes the way we view our needs. And so church, I want us to, to take a moment just to reflect. What would our lives be like if our hearts were filled with contentment like Paul's? where we can say whether we have a lot or have little, whether we're healed or we're not, whether we have the job or not, we will be content because we found the surpassing treasure. I want to encourage you guys just to spend a moment reflecting, open up your heart, ask God to search your heart and to shine a light into what drives maybe discontentment in your heart. And then we'll close in prayer. we come before you recognizing our need. Lord, we're sorry for, for the times where we've been so caught up in this desire for more, where we've found ourselves always chasing after the next thing. And Lord God, we, 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 we want to come before you and, and recognize, Lord God, you are the one who's in control of it all. And Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would so shape our hearts, you'll so soften our hearts that we will be able to say that no matter what happens, whether we have needs or not, whatever it is, that we will be able to be content, that we will trust in your wonderful uh, wisdom in how you give and take away in every condition. Father God, we, we pray that we will be able to sing like the hymn, that it is well with my soul, not only when we have all the things that we think we need, but even when there are still needs on the table even when there are still things that we are, are, are pleading in prayer with, for, Lord God, even when those things are there, we pray that you'd help us have a heart that trusts you, that enjoys the, the reality of our unification with you, the reality of our salvation, that our lives are hidden in Christ. And then by your Spirit, you now indwell us and empower us to be content, to get through, to, to be satisfied no matter what's going on around, around us outside. Father, I pray that you would so shape our hearts. I pray that you would stir our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that you would mold our hearts to be a people that are, con- that, that are content. Lord, no matter what comes our way over the next 12 months and beyond, Father, I pray that we will be a people that treasure you above all. Lord, that we'll truly be able to say that Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. There's nothing else that, 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 that is in this world that can ever satisfy, that can ever meet that. And I pray, Lord God, that by your Spirit, you would help our hearts to say that. Lord God, and it wouldn't just be lip service. It wouldn't just be Christian piety. But Lord God, it will be the, the deepest and the most truthful declaration of our hearts that Christ is enough for me. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would so lead us in this way, that you will so mold our hearts. 
that, Lord God, we would be a changed people because of it. We thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.